The Beat Church, bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. So I'm going to jump into the Word. Today's message is the face of God. It's Christmas time. Christmas time is Emmanuel, God with us, right? That God is here, that God has a purpose, that God has a plan, that he actually isn't just up in heaven, but he's a part of this world right now, that God's a part of it. That's why when we worship sometimes, anybody ever cry during worship? Anybody ever cry besides, you know, like the sound guy or the musician guy or somebody? Like just people crying because like God's touching them. You can feel God's presence. You know, you can feel it. You can go home and there can be literal change. I've seen people just find total freedom just in the middle of worship and actually just freedom from addiction or freedom from an offense or a bitterness that they let go of because God's moving on their heart. His Spirit's working on it. So he's here. He's here when we pray for one another. He is not just in heaven, but he's actually walking and living among us through his Spirit and through the work that he does in each of our lives. And so God wants to know us that way. But today we're going to talk more about actually the face of God, actually seeing more of who he is, a little bit more detail, and actually knowing not just by the sound or by the action, but by actually really seeing who he is. And so uh, I'm going to start that uh, just with what happened to me the other night when I was actually at my house trying to sleep at 3 in the morning. It's 3 in the morning. Does anybody else like to sleep at 3 in the morning? Is this a generally accepted time to sleep? Pretty decent time? Okay, so I'm at 3 in the morning, I'm sleeping in my bed, and I'm there, and Carrie's there, and we're sleeping in our bed, which we used to have a queen bed. Okay, we no longer have a queen bed because we have a four-year-old, and so almost four-year-old, and so eventually we just gave up and said, forget it, we're just going to get a king bed. So we switched to a king bed now, so now there's room for more bodies. So we're there, but we get her to sleep in her own room, we're winging her off. She's not going to be a teenager sleeping in our bed. We're winging her off, we're moving her over, like getting her pushed out. So we'll put her in her bed, and then eventually she tries to make her way back in. So this last week, I was in bed, and I'm laying there. It's 3 in the morning. I'm totally asleep. And all of a sudden, I could feel somebody climbing over me, and I could feel somebody grabbing my neck, and my little tiny fingers, and things are happening. I'm like, oh, boy. Then she lays next to me, and the thing that always gets said is, Dad. I said, uh-huh. Can we cuddle? Yeah. You don't need to ask me. Just get in bed and be quiet. Don't wake me up, right? <laughs> yes, we're cuddling right now. So I'm laying like this. She's behind me. Carrie's over there. I'm like this. And I'm like, yes, we're cuddling. And then I just hear, Dad. I said, yes. She goes, I can't see your face. <laughs> I'm like, you can't see my face. <sighs> Blankets, move, pillow, move, everything, roll, move it. And there she is just <laughs> smiling. I can see your face. Great. Let's go to sleep. Not see each other's faces till get until tomorrow. And I laid down. I tried to go to sleep, and I had my eyes closed. And just like the Lord has started speaking to me. And he just said, you know, I want to see your face. And I want people to see my face. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, is not just knowing that God's in the room, not just knowing that God's in the area, not just knowing that God's in our world, but knowing that we can see his face, that he can see us. You know, it's important. There's a lot of things that cause us to not see someone's face. They could be 
far away. They can be hidden behind things. They could be ashamed. You ever talk to somebody and they're ashamed and they're down and they're discouraged and you're trying to talk to them and all you're seeing is this? You're just like, hey, look at me. It could be grief, heartache. They can't look up. They can't look in your eye. It could be guilt. It could be all kinds of things. It could be uh, too much uh, makeup or too much of a mask, too much covering. You can't actually see their face. There's too much going on. It could be that they're just too busy, and all you ever see is their back because they're going that way. Hey, I want to talk. Oh, we're going that way. I want to talk. And you're just, you can't actually see their face. And so that happens with us, but also with God, that God wants us to know him in a personal way. So we're going to get into God and how he reveals really his face to us, his identity, because that's what a face is. Face is expression, right? If you can see their facial expressions, you can see what they really mean, right? Because you can say the same thing, but mean something totally different. But I can see it in your face. Sometimes without even talking, I can just see it in your face. You're, you're sad today. I can just see it in your face that you're happy. I can just see it in your face that, you know, you're stressed. You can just see it. So God has given us things to be able to see who he is and the expression really of his heart. And he does that through allowing us to see his face through Jesus. And so first I want to go to Exodus chapter 33, 18 to 23. And you can get out a pen. You can get out a, a uh, uh, your phone, whatever you want to do, to either look these up or to make note of these and read them later. Uh, today I'm doing it a little bit differently. I'm not going to really read most of these verses because there's a lot of them I want to hit. So I'm going to paraphrase them and then allow you to just read them later and look them up uh, because I just want to hit quite a few different references and there's just not time to be able to do that. Okay, so bear with me and that we're not going to be putting them up here and just reading through them uh, for the most part. But take note of them if you want to go through them. Uh, yourself. But Exodus 33, 18 to 23 is a story of Moses. And this is uh, Moses crying out and telling God, he's like, you know, that he wants to see him. He's like, show me your glory. You know, show me who you are. Now, the word show actually in that, the actual old word for that, the Hebrew word, it doesn't just mean that I want to see it, but it actually means, if you look it up, it actually is, has a meaning of being personalized and human. It's like, show me your glory. He's saying, you want show me. It's not like just like some random thing, but like, show, like, let me see your person. That's what it means. Let me see who you are. And so he's asking God, he's like, show me the glory, like, really of who you are. Because up till then, they just knew God as this being, this, like, kind of like now, we're like, well, you know, it's, it's the universe. And I put it out to the universe, and the universe brought it back to me. Well, that's kind of the, almost how it was. It's like, there's one God, he's God, but in a sense, he's a force that's up there. Because nobody can see him. Nobody knows him. You can't see it. And so he's saying, you know what, let me see your person. Let me see who you are. Let me see the glory of that. And God's response is that nobody can see my face or they'll die. Anybody ever feel like that? Like if you see my face, you'll die. I can't get up. I can't get out of bed. I can't come into work. I can't. If you saw my, you would just die right now. Right? Or you get a look from like a mom or from somebody and they're just like, it's a look that you could literally kill. You know, you get it from your spouse and you're like, I probably shouldn't have said that. Probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, well, God said, you know, if you see me, but it's not because of those reasons. It's because he's so other than us. He's so much greater than us. He's so much more powerful. He's so much more amazing. Just think of, like, people actually have, they literally people have heart attacks when they see somebody that they've idolized and been so famous of. Sometimes people have heart attacks. They actually get an opportunity to be in the same space, see him, and it, like, causes, like, a heart attack because they're overwhelmed with the emotion of it. 
Well, just imagine the creator of the entire universe of everything, perfect, holy, amazing, the ultimate artist, the ultimate musician, the ultimate everything. God is the ultimate of all of it. Imagine just being like, boom, right there, like in the actual presence, made the stars, made the heavens. Just imagine what your little teeny tiny heart would do. That's it. And that's what he's saying. He's like, you literally would just die in the awesomeness of me. That's what I used to tell, you know, I'd tell my kids, dad's so awesome. But he's literally that awesome that it could actually just wipe you out if he reels himself. So he doesn't do that. He hides Moses in the crack of a rock, and he goes by him, and he slides by, and he says, hey, I'm going to go by, and you can just kind of see my back. You're like, okay, he's watching. And he causes his goodness and his mercy to pass. And that's what he decides to show as his greatness. So many other things he could have shown, his power, his judgment, his wrath, his creativity, his music, a million things. And he's like, my goodness and my mercy, this is what you're going to see. Because that's the identity that he wants to be known by, that I love you, I care for you, I'm here for you. And so this is what he allows to pass by. But then check it out. In John 14, verses 8 through 9, this is Philip, and he's talking to Jesus, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. See, this is, this is so many years later from Moses all the way through all the Old Testament, all the way through, and then now we're here to where Jesus is here, and there's still somebody going around. And do you know what their question is? We still want to see you. We still want to see the Father. We still want to see God. There's still this desire inside of humanity to actually see the one that made us and to know him in a personal way, to understand the personality and the person of God. And so this is what he's asking. Here's Jesus' answer. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? He's saying, you know what, you're looking at it. You're seeing him right now. And if you've seen this, you've seen the Father. This is, this is the Father now in, the, I'm in human form showing you me. Because you can't see me the other way. So I'm showing you my face. I'm showing you who I am. I'm showing you my heart. I'm showing you my emotions. I'm showing you my personality. I'm showing you my character. And you just have to look. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look. In the life of Jesus, Matthew 14, there's a story. John 4, these are all just different stories. They go through Matthew 14. There's the all the huge crowds of people gathered around to listen to Jesus' words, and the disciples say, hey, everyone's hungry. We need to send them somewhere. And Jesus turns around, and he's like, no. Tell them to come. And he's like, you give them something to eat. We're going to take care of these guys. If you're hungry in your life, if you're, if you're hungry for more, if you're hungry for identity, if you're hungry for purpose, if you're hungry for fulfillment, if you're hungry for courage... If you're hungry for love, if you're hungry for all the, the different things in life, if you are hungry, saying, Lord, I need, I feel this craving, this desire. If you're hungry for comfort, if you're hungry for healing, do you know what? You see what Jesus does with that. 
you see what God wants to do is that he comes and he meets the need. He doesn't turn you away and push you away and say, no, you can't afford it. You don't have enough. I'm not going to see you. You're not important enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not. He says, come, I'll take care of you. It doesn't say he went through the crowd and picked and chose who would get that. Okay, let's do this. Divide them up. We have some that maybe have potential for the future. We should probably feed them. We have some that have this. I know this guy was a thief. Jesus knows this about people. Oh, this guy, I know this guy's not a great guy. I know this is probably not a great lady. Boy, this kid's kind of crazy. We should, don't feed them. We just want this guy. He, just, he doesn't even make a distinction. He just says, feed them. If you feel unworthy, uncared for, unloved, unable to come to God and say, you know what, I don't know how to come. I know I'm hungry, but I can't. He just said, feed them all. Bring them. That's Jesus. That's the heart of God. That's the face of God. Are you thirsty? He's talking to the woman at the well. He asked her for something to drink. And she's like, how can I give you something to drink? I'm a Samaritan. There's racial tension. There's a divide between Samaritans and Jews. And it was a huge problem. And he's asking her and talking to her. And he doesn't care about any of that. He's seeing her as a person and talking to her as a person. It's also a, a man shouldn't be talking to a woman in that culture just out at the well. It's, it's totally unclean. It's not a proper thing to do. He doesn't care. He's just seeing her as a person and talking to her. Saying, hey, how can I connect with you? How can I know you? She says, well, I can't give you anything to drink. Like, you shouldn't even be talking to me. You want me to draw water from the well? And he says, well, if you would have known, you'd have asked me, and I'd have given you something to drink. If you're thirsty, if you feel dry, if you feel worn out, weary, burnout, like, I don't know where to go to fill this. I've watched all the binge stuff on Netflix that I can. I've caught up on all of my series on TV, and I just still feel dry. I've read this book. I've gone to this motivation. I still feel dry. Jesus said, I can give you water that you will never thirst. Didn't turn him away, didn't push him away, any of those things. He just said, you know what, you're thirsty. And I have a water that can help you with that. I have a water that can touch your life and change your life. And so this is the face of God. This is who he is. There's a man in the Bible in Mark that Jesus is coming down the street, and there's people everywhere. Imagine you're going down the road. Here we go down the road, and there's not a lot of people here. There's just cars. But imagine you're in a small town where everybody walks or maybe rides a donkey. But for the most part, everybody walks, and everybody's walking up and down the roads, and there's chaos going on. And there's people trying to sell stuff and people shouting to sell things. And there's a famous person coming down the road that people have been talking about, and crowds are gathering in, and all this stuff's going on. And imagine that you are poor that you're blind, that you're a beggar, that you're homeless, that you are an outcast of society, and this person's coming into town, and everybody's like, there's a person coming into town that's famous, and they're amazing, and we're supposed to, everybody, look your best, do your best, line up on the side of the road, we're going to let them come through, and this person starts to come through, and all of a sudden, you're the little crippled person on the side of the road that can't see, and you don't know what's going on, you just know somebody's coming that's supposed to be able to help people like you, and you just start yelling out, Jesus, Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody around is like, who's doing this? What an embarrassment. 
This person is coming in our town and we're trying to show a good face and some beggar is just yelling out, help me. And they turn around and they don't try to help him. They turn around and they say, shut up. Be quiet. They push him back. Push him, be quiet. And he just, the Bible says, he cried out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And he caught Jesus' ear and he came over and he stopped the parade. He stopped the walkthrough. He pushed all the other people back. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't just heal him. He stopped. He saw him. He got face to face. This is me. I want you to see me, and I see you. That's what he did. He's God. He could have walked down the street, and just as he walked by, just waved his hand over, winked his eye, had a thought, and the guy could have been healed. And just kept moving. He stopped. He got close. He got face to face. And he said, I see you. What do you want me to do for you? He's like, I'm blind. I need help. And then he touches him and he brings his sight back. This is God. This is who he is. This is the face of God. Personal, caring, loving, invested in your individual outcome, your individual life. He cares about you. He wants to see you. If you're crippled, there's a, a Matthew talks about he went around healing out all the crippled and those that were oppressed and those who were troubled. Matthew 19, people start bringing the kids in. They're all excited. Oh, my God, things are happening. Let's get the kids in there. And then all the important people start saying, Put, get them out. Push the kids back. We can't have kids in here. Get rid of the kids. Jesus stops it all, and he says, hey, let the kids come to me. And then he goes farther than that. He tells all the adults, unless you become like a kid, you have no place in my kingdom. He elevates the kids. Their importance, their value, their identity, their existence, their place in his world. Well, we have physical kids, and that's what he's talking about, but there's also spiritual kids. Maybe you're new to knowing the Lord, trying to have faith trying to walk forward, and you can come say, man, I don't know, I don't even like to ask questions when I'm in a group, when people are praying, I don't like to pray, I don't like to put myself out there. I don't like to, like, step out because then people look at me and go, well, hey, wait a minute, you shouldn't be interrupting our, our conversation or our meeting because you're not, you're asking questions that we asked 10 years ago. You're just a baby. Like, we've already asked these questions. Like, we don't need to slow down our meeting for that. We got big things to talk about. And Jesus Word is, let the kids come to me. Let everybody come. I want to teach them. I want to love them. I want to care for them. It's not about one person being smarter religiously than another. It's not about one person being older than another. It's about God saying, you know, I love all of you. And guess what? I'm so much bigger, so much greater that you're all kids anyway. Even the smartest of you is still just a baby compared to the infinite knowledge of God. 
We just have no comparison. Matthew 14, 13 to 31, well, that's where we were. Skipping over John 6, 5 through 11. Do you have a little? This is a story. It's similar to the one in Matthew 14. But they find the loaves and fishes with the boy, and they say, we've got, this is all we've got. We've got some fish. We've got some bread, and there's all these people. And Jesus is like, give it to me. And the Bible doesn't say that he judged it, that he said it wasn't much, that he thought, well, it ain't much. He didn't even comment on that. He just took it. The Bible says that he took it, and he did what? He gave thanks. He just took it, and he just gave thanks. Thank you for giving me that little bit. And then he gave thanks for it, and then he did what God does. He used it, multiplied it, and blessed everybody with it. Okay, so maybe you only have a little bit. Maybe that's all you got. Maybe you say, you know what, Lord, I don't have much. I don't have much money. I don't have much time. I'm not very charismatic. I don't know how to pray. I don't know. Whatever you're a little in, you can see right here what God's response is to your little. God's response to your little is gratitude, not judgment. Thank you for being willing to share that. I'm going to now take that and use it to bless a lot of people. That little tiny bit that you have, God can take it if you give it to him, and he wants to take it. He's grateful. He gave thanks. He didn't just take it and use it. He stopped. He gave thanks. Like, this is amazing. He recorded this little boy in the Bible, this story. It was that significant to him. I want that in my book. Hey, uh, editors, I want that in my book. Put the boy in the book. It's just a boy. He had fish. He had loaves. It shows you weren't prepared, Jesus. It shows you had all these people coming. You didn't have a caterer. You had no plan, nothing going on. Everybody was hungry. Like, not a good story for the book. Doesn't show you're a very organized God. I mean, you created the heavens and the earth. You did it in seven days. You had everything going for you. Boom, boom, boom. This does not show you being very godlike. You had no plan here. You had, I mean, technically, people could look at it as you're stealing a kid's lunch. I mean, you're literally taking a little kid's lunch. You want... Put it in the book. I want his little in my book. I want people to read about him thousands of years from now. Because his little bit matters. Okay, maybe that's all you got. It's enough when you give it to God and say, God, I'll give it. I'm not embarrassed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to let people talk me down about it. I'm just going to give it. I'm going to share it. Are you beyond repair? John 11, 32 to 44 is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is literally in the grave. Lazarus is li- he's literally dead. It's over. Four days in the grave. His body is rotting. His body smells. His body's disgusting. It's too late. Maybe it's too late for you. Maybe it's too late for you. Maybe it's too late for your family. Maybe it's too late for your marriage. Maybe it's too late for your kids. Maybe it's too late for your addiction. Maybe it's too late for your finances. Maybe it's too late. Maybe it's too late for all kinds of things. Maybe it's too late for your relationship with your extended family. Maybe it's just too late. It's too screwed up. It's too far gone. Too many mistakes. You've ruined your reputation. Somebody's already hurt you beyond repair. Maybe whatever's going on, it's just too late. But we see what God does with that. He says, this is not unto death. This is for the glory of God. 
because it's never too late with me. Watch what I'm going to do. And he just yells out, Lazarus, come out. He brings Lazarus out. And then he has everybody else. The Bible says, you unbind him. You clean him up. And he has the community then come around and help restore because God wants to work with us. So we see the face of God. We see the heart of God. The heart of God is that he looks at your situation. He says, you know what? It is not too late. It's not. And then he says, but when I help you, I'm going to leave you with enough mess that you have to let other people help you because I want you in community. I want you connected. I don't want you on your own. This is the heart of God. This is who he is. If you want to see his face, you want to see his person, you can see it in Jesus. You know, maybe you're a disappointment. Anybody ever feel like that? I'm just a disappointment. High hopes. I had high hopes for myself, high hopes for other people, but I let people down. I let me down. I let God down. I let everybody down. One of the greatest disappointments in the Bible, disappointed himself and disappointed others, was Peter. Peter was the strong one. Peter was the And Jesus like, no. Peter's ears. Defending Jesus. I'm going down with you. And Jesus like, no. When you get tested, you're going to crack. When it really comes, you're going to run. You're going to flee. You're going to get out of here. Nope, not me. I'm in. I'm going to show you how strong I am. And what does he do? Three times denies Jesus. Disappoints him. Disappoints himself. The Bible says when the rooster crows, he realized what had happened. He realized that he had fallen just like Jesus had said he would. And he realized that. A great disappointment is his own self. Like, look what I've done. And yet, if you read that story, what happens is that when Jesus rises from the dead and he meets Peter again, he actually restores him into ministry. Restores him as a follower. Restores him and gives him a hope and a future. Even though he was a disappointment. The Bible says even when we are faithless, that God remains faithful because he can't deny himself. It's, it's who he is. It's his face. His face is faithfulness. Even when we mess up. He's like, I'm still going to be with you. I'm still going to have a plan for you. I'm still going to use you. We're still moving forward. This is who he is. Are you a doubter? The Bible gives the story of Thomas, a doubter. Spent all this time with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He saw all the things happen. Jesus dies. He rises again. And some people are like, well, I'd have to see it to believe it. Thomas saw it, and he still didn't believe it. <laughs> he's like looking at him. He's like, there's Jesus. And everybody's like, here's Jesus. And he's like, I don't believe it. Like he's standing. He's like, here. He's in the room. I don't believe it. Not unless I actually stick my hand in your side or like stick my fingers in the holes of your hands. Like, what a weirdo. Like, back off, dude. I'm standing right here. Like, no, I'm going to stick my hand in there. Fine. But he actually allows him to do that. He doesn't judge his weakness, his lack of faith, his inability to muster up this, this strong spirituality. He just looks at me and goes, you know what, man? When I called you, I already knew this about you. I knew that you struggle with belief. And I'm making myself available to you. You want to see me, see me. You want to hear me, hear me. Do you need to touch me, touch me? Because it's not about judging you. It's about restoring you. I want to bring you close. This is who I am. 
I want to be with you. So maybe you're a doubter. Maybe you struggle with your faith. Maybe you struggle when you pray to hear from God or you struggle when your finances are tight and you still worry. You're like, I know God's provided for me, but I'm not sure why I'm still worrying, but you still worry. You have areas of doubt. God's not casting you out and judging you. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But he is inviting you to come closer. He wants to overcome your worry and your stress and your anxiety and your fears. He wants to free you from those things. And he's willing to, to go the extra mile to help you to get there. Are you tormented? Luke 8, 2 talks about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was, the Bible says, tormented by seven evil spirits. So depending on the interpretations and the ways that you read that, that could be anything from demonic, just complete demonic possession to guilt and regrets to mental and emotional disabilities and things that are going on and tormenting her inside, things that maybe now we would just try to medicate. Whatever was happening, we don't know. But we know it was severe and she was tormented. Maybe you're tormented. Maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you say, I don't know what it is. I, don't, I just know that I'm tormented. I can't break these, these, these intrusive thoughts and these compulsions and these things that come in my head and in my emotions and I'm trying to do the right thing, but I keep feeling the wrong thing and I think that... Maybe you're tormented that way. If you see the face of God, what he does is invites you in so that he can deliver you. And he invites you into relationship that then walk with him. That's what he did with Mary Magdalene. Made her one of his close followers. One of the first to see him risen from the dead and be a witness to his resurrection. And so maybe everybody else thinks you're crazy. Maybe you are. but he still invites you. That's the gospel. It's not self-help. It's not looking in a mirror and saying, I'm not crazy. I'm not bad. I'm not wrong. I'm amazing. I'm awesome. And so people like me, and they're one, I, I'm wonderful. I'm likable. And convincing ourselves so that then we can get ourselves cleaned up enough emotionally to actually be acceptable and have people accept us. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that he looks at us and we say, I'm a mess. And he goes, yes, you are. And I still love you. And I'm going to walk with you as you get better. That's the face of God. That's the heart of God. There was a thief, a thief on the cross. You see the heart of God, and then he's sitting there dying on the cross with him. What does he say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Down there and prove himself. No chance to get down there and go to Bible college or go make amends or, or do any of the 12 steps. He couldn't even step. He couldn't get out. He's nailed. He can't move his feet. He can't do steps. Today you're going to be with me. Let's go. Nothing to offer. No way to earn it. He takes him. The soldier, there's soldiers on the ground. There's people actually persecuting Jesus. They're the ones stabbing him in the side with a spear. They're the ones trying to feed him vinegar on the cross when he's saying he's thirsty and they're mocking him and they're gambling for his clothes and they've just beaten him and he's up there and what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Maybe you're a mocker. Maybe you're here because somebody else brought you. Maybe you're watching and you're a mocker. His heart towards you is still love. 
He still wants to know you. He still wants to walk with you. He still wants to be close to you. He still wants to see your face, and he still wants you to see his face. Not once you stop mocking, but in the midst of the mocking, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Maybe hard for you to understand. You may not get it. You may not even want it, but he still loves you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. A grieving mother, John 19. This doesn't get talked about much in the Bible. Just imagine, Jesus is literally hanging so close to death. And he looks down and he sees his mother. And he says, John, take care of my mom. Could you imagine that? He's literally hanging there, bleeding out, body torn beyond recognition. And he looks down, and somehow through the dripping blood and sweat and the heat, and his mind going into delirium and losing consciousness and trying to, he looks and he sees, and through the pain and the suffering and everything, he's, a, <gasps> he's hanging, suffocated their lungs. He's literally trying to be, <gasps> John. Take care of my mom. That's a deep love. If you've gone through grief, you've gone through losing a loved one, you've gone through losing somebody that you care about, just know that the heart of God is not blind to that. Even in the midst of his own suffering on a cross, he was still trying to bring comfort. He cares that much. Are you an orphan? The Bible says in John 14, he will not leave you an orphan. Are you a persecutor like Saul? God could have struck him dead. He was killing and wiping out Christians everywhere. Instead, he comes and he gets in front of him, gets face to face, brings a light of it. God down, shines on him, and he says, look, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He goes, who, what do you mean? Who are you? I'm Jesus. You're persecuting me. And then he changes his life, forgives him, and then calls him to minister. Sometimes today in our culture, you know, you can't get called to minister unless you've been perfect enough, long enough, and done good. He literally calls the guy right out of this terribleness, blinds him, unblinds him, and says, boom, you're ready to go. I want you to start ministering for me. Carry my name. Wear my jersey. Let's do this. So maybe that's you. Who is he? And the question is, who are you? I just want to show this one slide, because I believe this is what God wants us to do. Go to the next one. Exodus is Moses' conversation. John 20 is where he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he says, as the Father sent me in John 20, he actually says, as the Father sent me in the world, so I send you. Earlier in John, he, he says, he, I'm going to look like the Father. But now he says, if you've, the Father sent me this way, I want to send you out. So you're looking at, here is who God is, here is who you are. And you see the overlap in the middle? You see that little overlap? That's our opportunity right there. That's our opportunity as we know God and we draw closer to him. It creates an overlap. 
where people can still see us and all of our mess. They can also see God and all of his amazingness. But they can see this overlap where, wow, God's working in and through that person. And that's what he's called us to do. Is to just come in close enough and be with him enough. Not to be perfect, not to be cleaned up. We're not supposed to move our circle up. We have to try to pretend like we're God. We're perfect. Our life's all put together. We're amazing. And convince everybody that we're just like God. It's not what he's asking us to do. He's just asking us to get close enough that there's this, we begin to overlap and people can see his work in our life. They can see his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy and his love and his comfort and all the things poured out in our life. They can still see our mess. They can still see his amazingness. And somehow they see God is working these things together. And if he's doing it for them, maybe he can do it for me. And it gives them hope to come and find out for themselves who's the Savior. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about people having the opportunity to see the face of God, to see who he is, first in a manger and then as he grows in their life. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.